Everything, everywhere, all at once. We've got the end of the Trump era immigration restrictions. We've got the debt ceiling standoff coming to a head and the Hollywood writers are out on strike. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable. I'm Matt Robeson. We're part of the Beyond Politics podcast, which is of course available on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast joined. As always, as usual, by our conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston, and former U.S. Congressman, Paul Hodes. All right, look, we've got a real grab bag of things that have come to a head or are coming to a head this week. Let's start with all the news is being led by the debt ceiling standoff. This is what I call the Republican stupidity bomb. Paul is more in the Republican catastrophe bomb. However you frame it, we seem to be reaching a point where the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is saying, look, the end is coming and it's a lot sooner than you think. It could be as soon as June that we have a total financial catastrophe in the United States. Paul, are we getting to the point where Joe Biden has to come off of his no negotiations with the full faith and credit of the United States position? Or does he continue to have to hold the line on that? I think it's both and. We've got to avoid catastrophe. And like it or not, this is really like it or not, the Republican whack jobs control the U.S. House. That's the reality. They're in control and they could tank the world economy and try to blame it on Biden because that's what they that's their game. So the both and is maybe what he ends up doing is holding the line in terms of the debt ceiling, but promising that when it comes to the budget, he actually will concede some cost savings. Maybe that's the face-saving way out of it for Biden and the country. And McCarthy goes back and says, guys, we won. We're going to do okay on the debt limit. The thing is, what you're really saying is he has to adopt the Obama position in 2011, which is we are going to negotiate on this. We are going to, we're going to allow the hostage crisis to proceed. It's like you are holding a metaphorical gun to the economic head of the United States, and we are going to go ahead and give concessions and basically give you what you want in some fashion. And that kind of worked last time in the sense that we didn't have a debt ceiling breach and we didn't have a resulting economic crisis, but it did lead to years of there was the whole super committee. No one's going to remember this stuff. There was sequestration, which meant we had these mandatory across the board cuts. No one cares about that either, except everyone freaking hated that. And it was a bad solution that didn't advance the ball at all. And so we're, we're back. Alicia, are you seeing a way out? There's a lot of reporting going on right now that Republican leaders, the people around McCarthy are trying to lower the expectations of the Freedom Caucus hostage takers that are pushing him behind the scenes. They're like, hey, if we get anything, that would be a magical victory. Shouldn't you be happy with that? And they're like, no, you told us that this deal we had two weeks ago would be a floor, not a ceiling on all the goodies we would get out of the Biden administration. Do you see a path forward on this? First of all, I'm not sure what goodies we're going to get. This isn't, I'm going to fund the bridge in your mom's hometown. This is stuff to reduce costs and spending for the American people, which is actually the job of Congress. So I'm all for it. It's not this McCarthy's holding the debt ceiling in the country hostage because he's doing what Congress people are supposed to do and not just listening to the edict of the Fuhrer. 
we have three branches of government here. The legislative branch is not supposed to be there to do what the president tells them to do. He has to negotiate. That's how this whole system works. It's literally how it was like written on this little thing called the Constitution when they founded this country to make sure that one branch of government cannot dictate to another branch of government what to do. That's what McCarthy did. Oh, no, did. Joe Biden is dictating that we have to pay our bills. Ooh, no, 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 no. Joe Biden is dictating terrible. how we have to pay our bills. He is dictating uh, how, the, how we have to pay them. You write the check. You say, yes, uh -huh. bill paid. What do you uh -huh. mean, how? Joe? We already said uh -huh. we would pay the bills, so now we have to pay Dude, the bills. This is you. And we'll you pay the bills. You said this last uh, week, my friend. No, no. I have always said the debt ceiling should be raised. I've also always said Biden has to negotiate. That's how this works. I have said both of those things this entire time. Biden has to negotiate has because to that's negotiate. how this works. Yes. Yes. He, they are taking hostages. They are saying, we will not How is not Biden not the bills. one taking hostage? How is Biden not the one saying, all right, we won't pay our bills unless you don't put anything because, else in because that bill? Because it's Kevin McCarthy saying it. It is not Biden saying it. It is literally Kevin McCarthy Actually, saying no, it. Actually, no, I feel no, like no I'm, it's Biden mean, saying it. Oh, you're, I feel like I'm taking crazy Biden, bills. Biden is saying, I will, will Biden is saying, I won't negotiate. Work. Biden is saying, I will not negotiate. You will do this. You will do it how I want you to do it. You will do it without anything else in it, or else we'll default on our debt. That is what Biden is saying. N nice attempted spin. Nice That's not spin. spin. That is fact. Everything I just said is fact. How no, is it no. not fact that Biden is not saying, is Biden not saying, give me a it's clean bill or we'll default? Is Biden wait, not wait, saying that? Wait a second. I shouldn't be name calling in my- We didn't hear you because we were too busy oh, yelling. So in my other. exuberance- And I, I was totally winning that exchange. I called you Kellyanne Preston because you're dealing with an alternative reality, an alternative- I have better hair for the it's record. It's like fake facts. It's true, but that's a low bar. Come on. True Give yourself more credit. But, but wait a second, Alicia, the basic thing is the debt ceiling- has nothing to do with budgeting. Those are two different things. When you have to pay your bills, you pay your bills. And then you take a look at what the household budget is after you pay the bills. But you don't get out of paying the bills because you deal with the household budget. And then, by the way, what these whack jobs want to do is take food out of the mouths of babies, deny seniors' health care, and do all kinds of wonderful things to whack away at what they call entitlements, which are really the earned, which is what Americans have earned by paying into the Social Security system. Who wants to take those away, too? In the long run. I do. I do. Okay. Yes, I, let's I, be clear. Let's be honest. So I'm tenting my fingers like Mr. Burns right now. Yeah. Excellent. In the long run, we need to deal with Social Security and Medicare. That everybody agrees, but the Republicans have stopped us from doing that forever and ever. People but do not agree on that. Can I, fun fact, Paul, not to cut you off, but can I tell you who disagrees with what you just said, that in the long run, we have to deal with Social Security and Medicare? Oh. Two guys named Ron DeSantis and Donald John Trump. That is yeah. the thing that they are attacking each other over. Yeah, Donald Trump's main attack on DeSantis right now is he said he he said that he wants to take away Social Security. What Ron DeSantis really did was vote for a non-binding budget resolution in 2018 that called for raising the retirement age of Social Security to age 70, which is something that we absolutely should do, by the way. I and don't agree. Uh, well, fine, fine, fine. But the point is, I just, I dispute the idea that everyone agrees that we need to deal with Social Security. Who doesn't agree? The leader of your freaking party, Kevin McCarthy. But Alicia, the basic point is, 
You can't hold the world economy hostage to saying we want to cut food stamps. We want to cut a uh, snap for kids. We want to take Veterans away benefits. Healthcare. That is. I agree with you. When it is gaslighting. When right? Joe I Biden mean, and Kevin McCarthy meet today, because they're meeting today, I agree. Joe Biden should stop holding all those benefits hostage and understand that he has to negotiate <laughs> with the people. Right Alicia, you're, this is going into the Hall of Fame here. What you have is the hostage taker who's saying, I will not allow us to pay our bills unless you give me what I want. And what you're coming in and saying is, who's really to blame here? The police. The police. They won't give in to his demands. The police Why always won't they negotiate, negotiate with hostage takers. What? The police no, they negotiate with hostage takers. No, they do. But Fantastic. Oh, at least you're admitting that Kevin McCarthy is the hostage taker. Hey, while you're conceding on that point, I'm wondering if you will. I just saw a spider web. That's why I'm looking up. Ooh, eek. sorry. <laughs> I, it did look like you were doing an epic teenage eye roll at me, which I'm getting familiar with my kids. What do you make of the fact that there's been a very calculated rollout from senior Democrats of the 14th Amendment theory. There was a Lawrence Tribe, who is a long time, he's a Harvard legal scholar who has advised several presidents, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times saying that, look, there has been an argument sitting around for a long time that the debt limit ceiling is constitutional malarkey. It is unconstitutional. The limit itself should not exist because the 14th Amendment says that no one will in any way question or breach the debt or question the full faith and credit of the United States. And Tribe's argument is by giving, if we breach the debt ceiling, right? And if we say, okay, this is a real thing that we have to live with. So we stop paying our bills. Joe Biden would actually be breaking the law. He would be breaking previous laws passed by Congress. The Executive branch is what the name implies. They are meant to execute the laws passed by Congress, right? And so when Congress passes laws saying you will spend these amounts, if he does not follow through and spend them and pay our bills, it is the president who is breaking the law. Therefore, the debt ceiling should never have been observed. It is a figment of, con of constitutional imagination. And all he needs to do is say, nope, I'm going to execute the laws that Congress already passed. The debt ceiling is a bogus unconstitutional law. And I'm just going to pay our bills. I could take me to the, take me to court. And it's just, it's interesting within Washington, sometimes with things like this is I don't know that they're necessarily saying that they would do this. I think what they're saying is we're floating this as a trial balloon to see what people make of it. We're going to let it sit in the public sphere and get a little bit of a media and public reaction. Um, but that is becoming their backup position. Janet Yellen endorsed it in the last couple of days. It's like, all right, if you guys are going to mess around here and bring financial ruin on the United States, we're going to call your bluff and just say, nope, we'll see you in court. You're so writing checks. Oh, but Paul, you, you come in, you're a resident, like member of Congress slash legal scholar. What do you make of this? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I think it's a, it's an interesting argument. And unlike other, many other arguments, it actually has a basis in fact. 
There it is in plain English in the Constitution. And if you're an originalist or a literalist or even a progressive interpreter of the Constitution, you could look at that. The Republicans and Kevin McCarthy are actually questioning the full faith and credit of the United States by their current conduct. I like the argument. At the end of the day, if Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans take us to the point Janet Yellen says, okay, we're out of moves, should Joe Biden do this? Sure. Alicia? Why not? To be frank, I don't know. I just, while Paul was talking, tried to do a quick read of the 14th Amendment, and it's not one of the amendments you can do a quick read of. <laughs> yeah, it's a long amendment. So I looked, I it's like, doing a lot of work for America. The answer is, I don't know. I, I Like I said, I'd have to go read the whole darn thing and, and then read what a legal scholar says about it. I am not, and put this issue aside, I am really tired. And this is Biden. This is Trump. This is Obama. This is Bush. I am really tired of the executive branch coming up with ways to not have to work with the legislature, coming up with ways to surpass the work of the legislature. So from that standpoint, not a constitutional standpoint, because again, I can't read it and I'm not a legal scholar. No, I wouldn't, because just as a fundamental principle, I'm really tired of the executive branch overreach that has plagued us for over 20 years. It's more than 20 years, ever since the there was a famous book on this, The Imperial Presidency. I think that is a very solid point. And look, as a general matter, I agree with you, Alicia, that anything that expands executive branch authority is probably a problem from my standpoint. That said, the Supreme Court actually dealt with a very closely related issue to this one about 25 years ago when they ruled that the line item veto is... Older listeners may remember when George H.W. Bush used to say, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the bills and find the pork and you just zap the pork right out of there. The idea being you Which could Which I'm go a through, fan of. Look, if I Congress like has concept. passed something, yeah, except, but that's not consistent with e executive power because it's a massive expansion of executive power. It means I that agree. they get, the president, get, right? They get I just want Congress to do that. I want Congress and to do that. And they say, I like this part, I don't like this part, so I'm going to just sign the parts I like and the rest of it, no. It gives it, it gives immense power to the presidency. The Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. You can't only abide by some of the laws Congress passes. You have to abide by all of them. Well, here you have a constitutional conundrum where Congress did pass this debt ceiling, but they also have passed literally thousands of other laws that the president is supposed to execute. But I want to set aside the constitutional argument for a second. Joe Biden should just fucking do this. Because too many times, Democrats sit around like a bunch of delicate doilies. Oh, I wonder, is this okay? Will people be upset? No, you should just go ahead and do this. Because the reality is, if Mitch McConnell were president, he would do this. He would shoot first and ask Merrick Garland questions later. And here we are with Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court, Merrick Garland not, with Republican senators having completely overreached and grabbed power and asked no questions and made no apologies for it. And in order to protect the stability of the United States and the livelihoods of American citizens, which, by the way, Joe Biden took an oath, he's sworn to protect them then yes, Joe Biden should do this and tell See, Congress this is the and problem with the, and the hostage right takers to go pound sand. This is the problem with the country right now. By right now, you say it's more than 20 years. You're probably right. Let's call it 50 years. This is the problem with the country in the modern world. It is a, yeah, no, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. Except in this case, because it's what I want. Except in this case, because it's what it's good for the country. Except in the, we keep 
pushing the boundaries of how this government was supposed to run, and we've been doing it for decades, for the benefit of whatever ruling party. That is wrong. It was done numerous times under Trump. Executive orders were through the roof under Obama. Republicans don't like it when Democrats do it. Democrats don't like it when Republicans do it. But we're perfectly fine when our own party does it. And what we've done is we've moved that needle so far that it's anything goes now. And that's but, not how it should be. That's but not can I throw a proposition at you that in this case, if anything, this would be a return. This would be a lessening of executive authority, not an increase because it would be the first time the argument was used first time ever, which means it would, it, it's it would. extending that presidential well, power. Well, what it would mean is it would say, uh, we're not going to put this one law that Congress passed 50 years ago above all the other thousands of laws that they've passed. We're going to follow all the other laws that Congress passed. I don't think that increases just the power for this of the bill, just for this law, no, just no, for no, this issue. A, there was this no is where argument. we are today. There wasn't always a debt ceiling. It, this is a relatively, it's not that recent, but the first debt ceiling in 1917. And then again, they reiterated in 1939. And Dick Gebhardt had a really clever idea in the 70s. He said, look, let's just say when we pass a budget, we automatically raise the debt ceiling limit to, to meet the budget. Whatever, the, whatever it is we say we're going to do, we're, we've done. And that was a pretty good rule. It was repealed in 1995 or 1996. Here's what Joe Biden would be saying. The 14th Amendment says nobody should question the full faith and credit of the United States. We've passed laws that incur the, these bills. We're going to pay our bills. If you don't like it, take us to court. And let's see what the Supreme Court does in this case with the honoring the 14th Amendment and preserving the full faith and credit of the United States. Because something you said before really rankles me, and that is that Joe Biden and the Democrats would be doing this to help Democrats. That's not true. What we would be doing would be preserving the United States economy and our leadership in the world as a dependable partner in financial matters, because that's where the rubber meets the road. In 106 Democrats, years finally, since the first Democrats, bill. Democrats would finally be standing up to the stupidity and insanity being inflicted upon this country by a minority of crazy right wing nuts. 106 years of a debt ceiling, 14th Amendment has never been invoked, and the argument being that this is just simple, this is just how it should be, is outrageous. It's an expansion of presidential power. You know it, I know it. You guys want it to happen? That doesn't mean it's right. It's not an expansion of presidential power. It is because it's if never been done before. It's never been done before. You know what? A bunch of insurrectionists have never been egged on by the sitting president to attack the Capitol before, but we may and have to. A thousand of them have been held accountable criminally. That's uh, what you do. But not the biggest one. Not the biggest one. Ah, you will be. Yeah. All right. Hey, you let's let's quickly move on. Speaking of Trump era policies, this week, we will see an end to Title 42, which limits people migrating to this country from seeking asylum. It's anticipated that this will lead to a rush at the border. Obviously, this is a topic that gets super political, super fast. And this is one show where we actually tend to play politics a little bit less with this issue because we happen to agree on the core pieces of it. I think we can just, can we just stipulate that the politics are going to happen here? Republicans are going to say that Biden is failing. Biden is going to say, this is not a problem that I created or that any one party created, and I'm doing my best to solve it here. Let me ask you guys this. The New York Times ran a really interesting in-depth look this morning 
at some of the things that the Biden administration is trying, right? They're setting up centers in other countries where people can go and apply for asylum while they're in those countries so that they don't end up here waiting for multiple years, as many as five years. They're setting up apps to allow people to apply for asylum. They're strengthening the ability to keep people in Mexico. They're making it a rule that in order to apply for asylum, you have to first have applied for asylum in another country that you're passing through on the way to the United States. They're trying a lot of creative solutions. Their hands are tied here. Is there, are we just stuck in political insanity where essentially both parties are just being driven by their extremes on this and are unwilling to solve the problem? Or is there a set of partial solutions that's reachable that we could get anytime in our lifetimes? I don't know. This issue is so hard. And I don't know if you can see, I actually have tears in my eyes because there was a special on the news last night about the immigrants coming over the border. And it's very easy to say they're not Americans. They don't belong here. It's very easy to say you have to do this the right way. But when you see for real what they're leaving and what they're trying to come for, I mean, there's this the reason there's this image of this woman desperately trying to get under this barbed wire and tearing her clothes up and this other woman on this other side wrapping cloth around her to try get her through what these people are willing to go through to leave whatever they're leaving we have to open our eyes republicans please i agree we cannot just open our borders it's unsustainable we can't finance this we can't afford the schools we can't afford the health care and we shouldn't have to we can't do but we've got to figure this out in a responsible manner. These are human beings. I, I cringe whenever I hear someone, can I live at Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. It's a tourist town. And someone posted on a page because we have a lot of Hispanics from Massachusetts that come up here. We always have. Um, there's a cultural center nearby. And so Hampton Beach is great. It looked like a refugee camp. And I cringe at this, like this anti- the xenophobia, I guess it is. And I don't know what the answer is, Matt and Paul. And I guess that's what you guys are asking because we're talking politics here. I don't know, but I know culturally we've got to open our eyes. We've got to be more sympathetic. We've got to understand we live in the greatest country in the world. That's why people are flocking here for a refuge as a refuge, as an actual refuge. And we've got to figure out how to manage it. And I don't know what the answer is. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. There's a way that members of Congress and staffers talk about political issues. They sometimes ask whether a party would rather have an accomplishment or rather have the issue. Meaning, this is actually a joke about a satirical superhero, The Tick, this was a TV series for a little while, who decides to become a superhero. And then this other superhero says, hey, if we team crime all together. And The Tick says, no, I don't want to eliminate crime. I want to fight it. And sometimes political parties don't want to have the accomplishment. They want to have the issue. They want to have the fight because politically they're better off having the fight. And so I was asking the question because I seriously wonder about this. I think the reality is that there probably is not a comprehensive immigration reform bill that can pass. I think that there are a lot of smaller issues that could be dealt with federally and even at the state level. There are a bunch of smaller things that could be done. But over and over again, what tends to happen is that 
the people involved would rather have the issue. They want to fight crime. They don't want to end it. And so what I worry about on immigration is that some of the things that the Biden administration is doing on its own are examples of things that Congress could expand on, and we could solve little pieces of the problem to make things a little bit better. But, and if you aggregated those things, look, last summer, the Senate passed for the first time in 40 years, some kind of comprehensive gun bill. Did it solve all the problems? No, we just saw the second biggest mass shooting of the year in Allen, Texas on Sunday. So it didn't solve all of our problems by a long shot. But did it make things better? Expanding background checks for 18 to 21 year olds, getting rid of the boyfriend loophole so that stalkers can't continue to hold firearms? Absolutely. It, we made progress. And there are similar solutions if, if we don't need to have the entire loaf that we could do. But I really fear that politicians want to have the issue more than they want to have the accomplishment. Let's just do one more, speaking of issues, let's just do one more because Paul, I know we got to get you out of here. You have other things that you do in your life. Oh, you have a life? Paul has a life. He, jealous. I sit on standby for this show for a week <laughs> and then I get dusted off. I kind of want to talk about the Hollywood writer's strike a little bit. I have a theory and I'm going to kind of road test it with you guys because you're smart. I want to see how you, I want to see how you react to it. For anyone who's missed it, the Hollywood writers are on strike. They are protesting the fact that their whole the whole business model of, let's call it Hollywood, but television and film production, mostly television, has changed because of streaming services. So the way you used to get paid for TV is you'd write something and then they'd put it into syndication if you were lucky, and then you'd get a check, you'd get residuals. Paul, you're familiar with this. You're a songwriter, you're a musician, you know, and you get checks from all of your musical work it may not be a ton no it keeps oh, you in the, the other day yeah it gives you it keeps you in the lifestyle to which you've become accustomed let's That's just right. and th this is all changing because of streamers <laughs> here's my theory to run by you i think the writer's strike may be sneakily really good for america and here's why in the last decade or so we've gone from something like 200 to 250 scripted shows on American television to 550. We've more than doubled. And at the same time, all these streaming services are losing money. They're losing a lot of money. And you've seen the headlines, CNN Plus went under Netflix, started to lose subscribers. They lost a billion dollars last year. A lot of these streamers are going down. They may have lost in the last three years as much as 18 billion dollars. So the economics don't work. All these shows don't work. We also know from psychology, Barry Schwartz is a pioneer of this, that too many choices make people unhappy. But that's not the only thing that's making people unhappy. We are, because of largely social media and technology, we are far more isolated. We feel lonely. P Americans report record levels of feelings of isolation depression. We're seeing the social ills that go along with it. Am I entirely blaming big tech companies? No, but it's an awfully big coincidence that the rise of internet-fueled social media and the atomization of media has gone hand-in-hand hand with all of these massive increases in depression, isolation. And I'm just wondering if the need for a new economic model in Hollywood is going to lead to some creativity and maybe 
less of this kind of thing. I'm not saying that the world was better when I was growing up. And at nighttime, if you want to watch TV, you had three choices, unless you want to watch PBS, but that's not really a choice. That's like self-flagellation. And that, that wasn't necessarily better, but you we had it. television for better or worse is our lingua franca. It's what we consume as a culture in America. And we have lost some common ground where you're from Alabama and you're a Trump voter and I live in Massachusetts and I like kale, but we can connect over- You make kale smoothies, don't you, Matt? I just realized this. You I put do. kale in smoothies. Uh, no, spinach goes in the smoothies. Kale is for okay. sautéing, clearly. Mm-hmm. I'll t- we'll talk about this later yeah, during we'll my feet liberal latte sipping radio hour. <laughs> That's my contention here is that something that gives us less stuff on TV and more common ground to connect over would actually be good for us. Thoughts? So I agree that you unloaded a whole lot there. Let me start. With I unloaded on you. I'm very sorry. You, you did. <laughs> but you talk about the when we were growing up, how you had to wait for your show to come and da, da. what we do with Ted Lasso is just that. So Ted Lasso is released on Wednesdays. It is the one day a week we eat in front of the television. I make dinner. It comes out on Wednesday. We don't watch it in the afternoon. And we sit down in front of the television. We watch our Ted Lasso episode every Wednesday. And do you know what? It is fantastic. And it hearkens us back to that time when you had to wait for whatever your weekly show was to come on. And it was your family time or your sibling time. or And it was just different, the anticipation. That was actually a huge thing waiting for. And now we're just gluttons. Our society, global society, are just gluttons when it comes to this stuff. You, We binge, well, I binge watch. I'm not criticizing others. But a program comes out and we binge watch it for three weeks and we stay up till two in the morning watching it because we've got to have that instant gratification. People have changed. The society has changed. And I'm not sure it's for the better, to be perfectly frank, because that immediate gratification and that need for something now and what I want when I want it has gotten to our psyches in so many other places. But I on the writer strike, here's what I think is funny. They've had to stop the new shows of the late night guys, the Jimmy Kimmel's and them, because they don't have their writers. Aren't they supposed to be comedians? I get that you can't have the sitcom have a new episode because there's 12 writers that figure out what every character is going to say. But we're talking monologues for comedians. They were like comedians. But didn't they write their own monologues? Isn't that how they got a late night show? I think it's hilarious. And not in the haha way that comedians can't write their own monologues and they've had to put off filming. That's funny so, to me. When Sid Caesar was on the air in the halcyon early days of black and white television, when the television was a 12 inch at best screen, he had writers. You know who his writers were? Mel Brooks, Woody well, that's Allen. Some good stuff. Right? <laughs> Mel Brooks, Woody Allen. The, the, those I were Mel and Neil Simon. Okay. So that's who Sid Caesar had. Neil Simon was a comedy writer? Yeah, for Sid Caesar. I don't know. I don't not know. Not talking who... Iowa senator. We're talking playwright. Uh, we're talking, not talking. Yes. Senator. And to your point, where did Tina Fey get her start? Right? Like ah, in the writer's room. Yeah, right? There are writers. You need, you need writers for television. But I, not for a monologue. You need it for the show. You need it for skits. How well, could you not do your own on the fact that None of people, you think that we say all this stuff spontaneously that it comes to our head? No, there's a whole team in Moldova who writes all this for I'm us. I'm writing, no, actually, there's another point I'm going to make about that because oh, this is about money. More streaming shows are being done with fewer writers. The writers aren't making as much money. They want to make what they used to make. They're getting squeezed. There's 11,500 
writers in the guild. This is the unions doing what unions do when their people are getting stiffed. So they're trying to get back to square one. But it's all pretty academic because pretty soon you're going to be able to pick up your computer and type into chat GBT, give me a Ted Lasso script and chat GBT is going to generate your next episode of Ted Lasso. This is all. And it'll probably be good as last week's episode, which was lousy, by the way. Last week's episode was crap. Because artificial intelligence is going to is going to deal is going to deal a death blow, I think, to every writer in Hollywood. By the time we're done, there's going to be three writers left. I think all of that may be true. I just to me, the fact that there are look, we've seen this before. There was a writer strike before. I'm not worried as worried about the creative side of things. What did the studios do? They're like, oh, let's do reality TV. You don't write that stuff. We can take care of it otherwise. So they'll probably find creative solutions. Thanks a lot, Hollywood. That gave us the apprentice. It actually, you know what? It gave us Celebrity Apprentice. The Apprentice existed before it, but then yeah. the way they innovated was they're like, hey, we don't need to write this stuff if we just have celebrities show up. And we ended up with Celebrity Apprentice. So thanks. Thanks, Obama. I just, I continue to think that the two big things that are going on is we're producing way so much, way too much stuff. And we're all existing in our little curated micro bubbles of culture. We have nothing that connects us to other human beings. And we do connect to other human beings. It's over Zoom, like we're doing this show right now. I think we would be better off. At the same time, all these big studios are losing billions of dollars on this. So something is deeply broken. And I think in trying to reimagine this and produce less stuff that's more common, that cuts across like more cultural boundaries, I think... Hollywood might end up doing us an inadvertent favor. So thank you, writers. And better, because here's what I've noticed. And we are TV watchers. We have our shows. We love them. There's a new one out called Fubar, which stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. We haven't tried yet. We're so excited. We're going to try that this evening. Can you pronounce it the correct way, though? Fubar. Who can do the Schwarzenegger impression, Paul? You're the well, impression. I can do Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> if you want. But here's what happens. These shows come out. And they present them on, we have a, we have probably every streaming service because we are gluttons. And they come out, they're good for a year or two. And then the writers move on to something else. And like their great nephew takes over writing and he's from the sixth grade and the content is crap and it lasts another year and then it disappears. Like there's not the quality that networks used to require these the shows to have quality you want another year you need quality you got to have viewership with streaming it's so cheap for them to just put it out the way they do that they don't require the quality it's like well, that's going, the problem right that's is that the they're problem. doing it on the cheap yeah, yeah but i mean it's also problem but it, and that's a look it's also the last 10 years have seen more great stuff than in the 50 years beforehand there's been more great stuff for people to watch But I actually think we're better off as a society if you've got three or four okay choices. They're okay. I think it connects us a lot more to each other. Just watch the podcast of Beyond Politics on the YouTube channel. There are no writers. We do it off the cuff. We're impromptu. We're our own writers. And here we are. That's good. (gasps) Good plug, Paul. You're going to offend the Moldovans. All right. On that note, we got to get out of here. Paul, we got to get you out of here. For Paul, at Robeson, we'll see you next time. Bye.